And while they're heading out, take your Bibles. Turn to 2 Timothy. I'm excited about this, y'all. This is great. Uh, I, th this is wonderful. 2 Timothy, chapter 3. All right, so this is the, uh, the, week of uh, the month of downers, apparently, for, for sermons, but not so much. Um, you know, we looked at the fact with Joseph that the trials are coming. If we're following God's will, if we're where we're supposed to be, trials are coming. And uh, we saw with Joseph that every trial was a preparation for the, the, the fulfillment of the dream that God had given Joseph when he was 17 years old. Last week we looked at Jeremiah and we saw that uh, failures are coming, that it's not going to succeed all the time, that God is not guaranteed when we do something that it's going to work out exactly the way we plan it or we think it should. But success is not measured in end result. Success is measured in our obedience. And in that sense, Jeremiah was no failure at all, but was a complete success. And he was a success, we saw, in the fact that he could give us, that he would preach verses like Jeremiah 29, 11, that, where God says, I know my plans for you, plans for a hope and a future to prosper you. In the midst of all that was going on, Jeremiah could preach that message. So that's, that's no failure. That is a success. And this week, we're going to look at Paul. In the Second Timothy, he's writing this letter to Timothy. Timothy was his, uh, his apprentice, for lack of a better term. Um, he came across Timothy on his first missionary journey. Uh, Timothy's mother was a believer, a Jewish believer. His dad was a Greek so, and, and was not a believer, from what we can tell. Um, trained Timothy. Timothy traveled with him for quite a while and then became a pastor in Ephesus. And that's where Paul is sending this letter is uh, to Timothy in Ephesus. Now this is, and I didn't check to make sure this would work today. Is it, make sure it's clicked on the, uh, that screen, that first. There we go. Was that you or me? Okay, good. Um, this is, uh, well, thought it, oh, it was you. Okay, well, let's go forward. Uh, this was, check and make sure I plugged it in. Is there a little thing in the back plugged in? The back USB port on the back of the computer. Is that plugged in? Is it okay? Is there a red dot flashing when I do something? Yeah, my laser works. <laughs> if the technology doesn't work, let's go home. There we go. Woo! There, okay. It's been one of those mornings with technology, trust me. Um, I was telling Etta, you know, if, if, if it can be a perfect Sunday morning, because we've been fighting the printer this morning for kids' church stuff. 
It can be a perfect Sunday morning and I have nothing to do and I can come in here and relax and I have to change one thing on, on a computer and it turns into 45 minutes of fighting technology. It never, ever fails. Uh, I think that's persecution, personally. Um, that we, we see it. Now then, this letter was written uh, to Timothy. Um, this is Paul's last letter. We read this and we see that in, we don't know how soon, matter of day, weeks, days, he is going to be beheaded. Uh, that's how we're pretty sure Paul was killed. Uh, tradition tells us that's the way he was martyred. Um, it was written from a Roman prison. Uh, he has made his trip to Rome. He has appealed to Caesar in, in one of his trials because he was a Roman citizen. And he got what he asked for. He got his appeal before Caesar. Now, in reality, um, if he had not appealed to Caesar, he would have gotten off. Uh, but that was all part of God's plan to get him to Rome so he could write these letters. And, and most of the time, he was uh, under house arrest there, very likely. So maybe toward the end, he was in a, a, a real prison. And as I said, he would be martyred here in just a couple of days, he would, be, he would be killed with his head cut off. Yet, in all of that gloom and despair that should be there, especially chapter 3, verse 10 through 4, 18, is all about encouragement. It's actually very encouraging. The passage we're going to get on persecution is from the section of encouragement. Paul is actually encouraging Timothy when he tells him about the persecution. So while it seems doom and gloom, that's not the tone at all in this letter to Timothy. Paul's not writing, woe is me that, that I'm about to die. Woe is me that I'm going to be martyred. In fact, he's telling him, I'm, I'm, I'm an offering to God, he says in one place that we're going to look at here in a few minutes. The sorrow, the defeat, isn't there. Because in our persecutions, there is no sorrow or defeat when we're walking with Jesus. And that's what we have to see today. So look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, start in verse 10. It says, But you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from them, and, uh, from them all. In fact, all those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So we're going to look at three things, and I've, I've kind of broken it down into the uh, first grade reader. We're going to see Paul live. We're going to see Paul suffer. And then we're going to see us suffer. Just, you know, very simple so we can uh, commit it to memory. We see Paul live. Chap uh, verse 10. But you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance. Let's look at those things. He's telling Timothy, you've seen what I did. You've seen my life. You've seen how I lived. And then he tells him some of those things that he did. Teaching, first of all. This was Paul's doctrine or his beliefs. Timothy had seen him teach. He had heard him teach. He knew, he had letters written to him. This is the second one to Timothy. Timothy knew 
Paul's teaching. But for any teacher, for anyone who would say that they are, are teaching someone, your teaching comes out in your conduct. The next thing Paul says, you've seen my teaching, you've seen my conduct, my way of life. You have seen that that matches what I teach. Now, I know, just like the rest of us, there were days when Paul's conduct did not match his teaching, when Paul failed to live up to what he taught. But if we study what Paul said about grace and forgiveness, even in Paul's sin, he lived what he taught when it comes to the forgiveness of God and the grace of God. So even where he failed, he was an example of how to not wallow in that failure, not live in that sin, but to combat it, to beat it as best he could, and to live uh, the right way of life. His teaching, his conduct, Timothy saw Paul's purpose. Now any other time Paul uses this word purpose, in, in specifically in uh, 1 and 2 Timothy and in Titus, it's always God's purpose that he's talking about. This is the only place... Paul uses the word purpose in reference to a human. And I think it's instructive because Paul knew that any time he was about his purpose, that in fact he was about God's purpose. That's what he was working on. That's what he was doing. That's what he was living for. So Paul could say, you've seen my purpose, and my purpose is God's purpose. We talked about that in January and February how we align ourselves to God's will, how we see where God is leading us, and we get in line with that. We, we know that if we delight ourselves in the Lord, our desires will be His desires, therefore we'll get the desires of our heart. Paul understood that. Paul could say, follow my purpose. You've seen my purpose because my purpose was God's purpose then those three things are, are more the, the doing of, of the Christian walk. The next three things are uh, really four. The last one kind of splits between the, end of, between the end of verse 10 and verse 11, are more the being of the Christian walk. The next one he says is faith. You've seen my faith, this trust, this pure dependence on God, you have seen, Timothy, that when I lived, when I, when I went through the, the, the mission field, went on these missionary journeys, you have seen that in every way I was completely and purely dependent on God for everything. I trusted Him completely. I didn't trust people. He says, I, I didn't, in uh, one of his letters, I don't take money from the churches because I want to be independent. And that independence, I believe, showed his pure dependence on God. He had complete trust, complete faith in God, that being of, of the Christian life. He was patient. You've seen my patience, particularly toward others. And this patience was going to really show itself later on in the persecutions. Paul was patient with those that disagreed with him. Now, you read some of his letters, particularly what we're doing on Wednesday nights with Galatians, you can hear some very stern language that he uses to, to confront those who are leading people astray. But when it came to the lost, when it came to Paul's life as an example to, to those who were uh, coming to know Christ, Paul was patient, even with those 
who would persecute him. And then last, love, even as persecutors. As a matter of fact, um, we see with this love, this, this love toward the, the leaders who were putting him in jail, toward the, uh, the people of the synagogue that were stoning him. We're going to see that here in a minute. Paul loved the people that persecuted him. And then this last word, this is the kind of the transition between the being and the persecution. He says endurance. And often when Paul writes, he puts love and endurance together. And you know, we wouldn't really think of that. We, why, you know, love, endurance? Because when Paul endures the suffering of the people at the hands of whoever's against him on that particular day, and, and you know, pick your day, whether it was uh, the Jews or the Romans that were, were persecuting him. When he was enduring those things, he endured it in love for the people that were doing it, for the God that he knew would protect him. So he, Paul tells Timothy, you've seen my life. You've seen how I lived. You've seen what I've taught and that I lived the way I taught and that I lived God's purpose. You've seen me have faith through all these trials. You've seen me be patient. You've seen me love those who have done it and you've seen me endure a lot of things. And then verse 11, we see Paul suffer. 2 Timothy 3.11, in that endurance, he says, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from them all. The way he wrote this, we see it when we read it, along with the persecutions and sufferings. But what he's intending to get across here is that he, uh, the sufferings were a result of those persecutions. He didn't, he wasn't persecuted and, and he suffered. That's not the point he's, he's making here. I mean, he, he did. We could say that. He was persecuted numerous times, but he also suffered. Uh, he was hungry, he says. He suffered shipwrecks. And, you know, the shipwreck wasn't a result of human persecution. Satanic, very likely, but not human persecution. He could have called that just suffering. But here, specifically, he's telling Timothy, you know the sufferings that I had as a result of the persecution. Persecution was never easy. We're going to look at the three places. He says, the, the, uh, they came to me in Antioch. That's the first place he mentions, is Antioch. And if we flip back, and you don't have to flip back, it's up there on the screen. But if you want to go read the whole story, Acts 13 tells us about when Paul went to Antioch. And in verse 50 it says, But the Jews incited the religious women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their district. That doesn't sound too bad. Paul, suffering, come on. They kicked you out of town. I mean, so you moved to the next town, found another hotel. Not, not too big a deal, we would say. Stirred up persecution. Now, he doesn't go into detail about what that persecution is, though. We don't know what they did to him before they kicked him out. But, you know, if, if he didn't describe it, it must not have been too bad. So, Antioch, we might be willing to, I mean, we might be tempted to say, oh, Paul, you exaggerate. Well, if you read on down 
51, 52, 53, and chapter 13. You get to uh, chapter 14, where he goes to Iconium. 14, 5, and 6 says, When an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to assault and stone them. Mm. They found out about it, Paul did, and, and fled to Lystra and Derba, and there they kept evangelizing. Now, if we wrote off Antioch, if we wrote off Antioch, I don't intend to write off Antioch because I think the persecution was probably worse than just they told him, you know, Paul, it's time for you to hit the road and go on down to Smiley. Uh, that, that wasn't what they told him. It was very likely worse than that. But if we, if we were tempted to write off Antioch, Iconium, now they're coming to assault and stone them. Okay, we've gotten violent now. And they take off, they hear about it, and they go to Lystra and Derba. Notice, though, and there they kept evangelizing. Now, these towns weren't that far apart. As a matter of fact, um, all of this is going on in an area that uh, the area of Galatia, which on Wednesday night we're studying Galatians, the letter that Paul wrote back to these churches. This is all an area where uh, Timothy grew up. This was an area that, that Paul knew pretty well. And these towns weren't very far apart. It wasn't like he was traveling hundreds of miles to another town. He was traveling 10, 15, maybe 20 miles at the most probably not that far to go for, to, from one town to the next. So he wasn't getting out of the country by any means. He went to the next town over, and look at the end of verse 6. And there they kept evangelizing. Timothy, you know my way of life. You know what I've taught. You know my conduct. You know what I did. You know the persecutions that I suffered in Antioch. And we got kicked out and we moved on. And you know the sufferings I, uh, I endured at Iconium. We got almost stoned, but Timothy, we kept on evangelizing. We kept at God's work. And then he goes from Iconium to Lystra. Uh, 14, chapter 14, verse 19. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and when they had won over the crowds and stoned Paul, they dragged him out of the city, thinking he was dead. I think now we can acknowledge with Paul that the sufferings did come as a result of the persecutions. They got him, finally. And they stoned him. To the point that they thought he was dead. They dragged him out of town and gave him a nice bury. No, they just threw him out. Probably in the trash heap. They probably took him, in our language, they probably took him to the landfill and threw him over the edge. That's suffering. But that's not the end of the story. Because if you read on down another verse, uh, the disciples gathered around him. He got up. And he moved on. But where did he move on to? Well, these three towns, uh, like I told you, were in Galatia. This was Paul's first missionary journey. This was his first time to go somewhere, to do something. 
There we go. This is his first trip, and look how he's being treated. It's also Timothy's home, like I told you. These are people that Timothy likely knew. Very likely, Paul had some contact with them. These are friends of Timothy's, and they're treating him this way. As I said, these are uh, some of the churches that Paul wrote the letter to the Galatians to. Later on, when he, as we're studying on Wednesday nights, he's telling them, calling them, my brothers, dear children. He's, he's suffering, even later on, even after the beatings, he's suffering because, as we're learning, they were trying to deviate from the gospel. They were being confused. They were being led astray. Paul went on three missionary journeys. Maybe four. We're not really sure. There's, you know, we're, at some point he talked about going to Spain. It seems like maybe he did. Maybe his first Roman imprisonment, he got out and was able to go on to Spain. And then when he came back, that was the second imprisonment. And that's when he writes 2 Timothy. So three, maybe four missionary journeys Paul went on. This was the first one. And he got stoned almost to death. It did not matter the persecution when it came to the call of God on his life. He was willing to endure, willing to suffer whatever he needed to. And why? Because he says at the end of verse 11, after he says, What persecutions I endured, that yet the Lord rescued me from them all. This was rescued uh, not from persecution but through persecution. See, God never promises that we will not go through persecution. As a matter of fact, He promises that we will. But He promises that we will be rescued through that persecution. Jesus says that we'll be persecuted. Paul says here in just a minute that we will. And this is coming from a man who is facing, I believe, the ultimate persecution, death. He knew what was coming. It, it, you shouldn't even have to flip. It, it might be one page over. But look at uh, chapter 4 in 2 Timothy, verses th 6 through 7. Paul writes to Timothy and says, as he's wrapping up this letter, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure is close. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. This is a man who's writing half a letter of encouragement to Timothy when he knows in a few days he's going to die. Rescue, Paul? In all these times God has rescued you? Well, not this time, did he? He cut, got your head cut off this time. Look at verse 18 of chapter 4. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work, and what? And will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. See, for Paul, even death was a rescue. Because, as he said in other places, you know, I, I, can, I can die, and I'll get to go to be with Jesus. Or I can live, and I'll do Jesus' work on earth. Either way, I'm a happy man. I'm going to do whatever I have to. He knew he would be rescued. So we saw Paul's life. We've seen Paul suffer, and we've seen his attitude towards suffering. And then in verse 12, we see us suffer. 
verse 12 of chapter 3. In fact, all those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. People, we've got to understand that, that godly life, first of all, is only found in a continual relationship with Jesus. That's the only place that we're going to find a godly life. We don't find a godly life in spurts with a little bit of, of relationship here and a little bit of activity there and a church occasionally here and doing this little work here. Godliness is found in a continual relationship with Jesus Christ. A continual asking, what am I to be doing? And godliness, Paul tells us, always results in persecution. If we are living a godly life, we will be persecuted. There's no question. This was not a maybe from Paul. In Matthew, I believe, chapter uh, 19, it was not a maybe from Jesus that we would be persecuted. As Christians, if we are striving to live a godly life, we will be persecuted. Now, what does godliness mean? Uh, well, a good word for it is piety, being different. Yeah, maybe my batteries. Uh, so, piety, being different. You see, we need to understand that the world does not persecute the things that look just like it. Just go ahead and flip ahead for me, Jake. Hit a couple of times. There you go. Uh, godliness is, is, is something that's going to set us apart and make us different from the world. If we look just like the world, the world doesn't persecute us. If we fit in, the world doesn't persecute us. You can judge your godliness by the amount of persecution you suffer. Let that sink in. You can judge your godliness by the amount of persecution you suffer. Are you made fun of? Do people, when you walk into a room, do people snicker because they know you're going to invite them to church? You're going to bring up God in the conversation. That's persecution. Do people want to invite you or, or, or act like they're going to invite you to something and, oh, no, but you're one of those Baptists. You don't do that. It's persecution. Because you have set a standard of godliness, of piety. You are excluded. You are mocked. You're persecuted. If you never experience that, then you need to examine your life. Are you living a godly life? You have to understand, if you are, you'll be persecuted. And if you're not being persecuted, then there's no godliness that the world can see. You're not different enough from the world that they notice a difference. That's the same, we, we need to see that, or understand, I should say, that that's coming as a church as well. 
If we are a church that is committed to the call of Christ, committed to do whatever he calls us to do, we will be persecuted. Whether it's by the, the, the people of the town, whether it's by Satan himself to try to keep us from evangelizing, from being out there doing what God calls us to do, because his favorite thing to do is just make us disobedient. Remember, our success is defined by our obedience, not our uh, numbers, not our ap apparent successes, but by our, by our obedience. So if Satan can make us as a church disobedient, Satan is one. And we are then in the midst of persecution. If he doesn't win, if we, are conti if we continue to be obedient, even when he tries to get us off course, that's when he's going to hit us with a mess. That's when he's coming after us. That's when he's going to use every little thing he can, every little person he can, whether it's people within the church or without, to try to create disunity, try to create problems, create arguments. You'll be amazed at what people get along when the church isn't doing anything. But when the church starts being on mission for God, how two people just hate each other and are going to bring the entire church into it. He's going to use those things to persecute the church. He's going to use the government. He's going to use things like the health care mandate, which looks minor on the surface. But when you start examining the requirements, you realize that there is a, a, a negative effect, a, a persecuting effect on the church. When the government demands that marriage be redefined, and as in some countries has happened, churches are required to marry homosexuals. That's persecution. And I'm afraid we may not be too far from that very requirement if we continue down the path. That's the persecution of the church. And that's what we're going to have to know is coming if we're going to follow God. But there's a beginning to godliness. There's, there's a, a first step in godliness. We can't live a godly life unless we've asked Jesus into our hearts. Godliness begins with the acceptance of Jesus Christ. Now, how do we do that? First, we admit we're sinners. We understand that we are lost, that we've broken God's law. Not that we've made mistakes, not that we've goofed up, but that we are bad and deserving of hell. That's lostness. We admit that. Then we believe, and here's the salvation. We believe, we understand and believe that Jesus is who he said he is. The Son of God come to earth, died on a cross, taking my sin, rising three days later to show me that through my belief, I can have eternal life as well. And then we confess. We confess not to be saved, but to show that we are. If, if we're scared to, to say it out loud, if we're scared to live the godly life and begin the godly life by a few steps forward or getting wet in the baptistry, then maybe we've never believed. If we can't do C, maybe we've never done B. B is not dependent on C, okay? It doesn't, the confession, the baptism, they don't save you. But if you're not willing to do those things, have you ever truly believed?
So we confess that we trust Jesus. And that begins godliness. Let's pray. Father, we know that you are, you are working on our lives. We know that you are guiding us, you are calling us, and we know because of our determination to follow you, we will be persecuted as individuals and as a church. But Lord, let us look at it as Paul did and say, we've been rescued every time and we will continue to be rescued whether that rescue is moving through the persecution or that rescue is you taking us home, we will be rescued. Let us not, Lord, be afraid of the persecution. Let us rejoice that we have been counted worthy to suffer as Christ, just as you did, Lord, on that cross. Let us suffer as well. Because that is where we find our truest faith our truest dependence. Lord, and I think our truest blessing and our truest glory in you. So Lord, whatever is coming our way, whatever is a part of the vision down the road, and whatever persecutions come because of it, Lord, let us say we accept them. We run headlong into them knowing that you are our ultimate rescue and that we can have a ministry, we can have a, a legacy as a church that was on mission for you, regardless of the cost. Lord, if there is someone here today who does not know you as Savior, who has never understood what it meant to accept Christ, I pray that today they understand, that, that you give them understanding and draw them to you so that they can know salvation and they can begin the walk of godliness. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So what's your decision? You know, we, you've, you've made the, the, the step of godliness. Now let's talk about the life of godliness. Maybe, maybe you've asked Jesus into your heart and you need to come and, and tell us about that this morning. You want to write that on your uh, connection card and let us know what you've done. Or you want to talk to me after the service. Let's talk about that. Let's, let's get that set in your heart. You've already accepted Christ, but you need to confess it. You need to come forward. You need to be baptized. What is God doing in your life? You need to recommit. You've done these things. You've been baptized. <clears throat> but the life of godliness just isn't there. You're not persecuted. You don't know if anybody knows you're a Christian. Oh, somebody knows maybe you go to church once in a while, but that's about it. You need to commit to a life that is directly and, and completely focused on godliness. You need to be used. You, you need to be a part of what we're doing at the church. What decision is God leading you to make? Maybe just to join the church and to be a part. Share it come forward. I'm going to ask Richard to come forward and, and, and receive you if you want to come down and talk about anything. As we stand and sing, let's, uh, let's see what God's doing in our lives.